Hi, I'm Dan Pico. In today's brief session, we'll be meeting Andrew Knight, Global Data and Tech Lead at RICS, as he shares his view on data standards in property and how data can be used to enhance and develop the property industry further. Good afternoon, Andrew. Lovely to meet you. And you, Dan. Great to be on uh, on this podcast. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm really, really appreciative of you joining. Everywhere I look at the moment, you seem to be seem to be everywhere. <laughs> thank well, you for taking some time to spend with me. Uh, absolute pleasure, Dan. So first and foremost, for our listeners, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? How long have you been working in the surveying sector and specifically for RICS? Well, th- those two are, are in parallel. My, my, my career is is somewhat varied if you, if you go back to it, its initial stages. I've done a number of things over the year, over the years in terms of both commercial roles, training roles, roles with data analytics firms. Uh, I've been with RICS, it'll be 11 years uh, this April, so a fair time. And that's been a real steep but incredibly interesting learning curve into the whole world of surveying uh, in tandem with my background knowledge particularly around data and technology so it's been hopefully that kind of hybrid of 10 11 years worth of uh, deep dive into the whole uh, incredibly varied uh, practice areas that our members operate in both in the UK and globally and matching that up with the huge changes that have taken place uh, not just recently but over many years in terms of adoption of data and technology. Yeah it seems like um you know, it, it must be a really, really interesting job day to day and, you know, very varied, you know, your, your role is global, you see everything across the world and it must be, no two days must be the same in what you're, what you're doing. Well, exactly. And in some respects, I, I tend to avoid, dare I say, it, the, the phrase prop tech because it's so much wider than that for me because um, we have 130 odd thousand members around the world. They work right across the life cycle of property all the way from land development land acquisition land survey all the way through the you know valuation brokerage construction in use all the way to demolition circular economy Uh, and they're looking at a whole host of different asset types residential all the various flavors of commercial real estate the new alternatives that have come up over the last years in terms of data centers and student accommodation and and build to rent multifamily um, self-storage all those kind of things as well as infrastructure you know those larger huge projects railways high-speed railways roads all those kind of things so it's an incredibly varied set of asset types that our members look after right around the world and across literally the full life cycle of course with your role with RICS covering data data standards and partnerships of course on a global scale that's extremely extensive what, what does that entail on a, like a day-to-day basis for you? Well, I, I mean, I sit within a, a directorate within our ICS called The Profession, which itself is quite broad. That profession looks at um, the standards we have for new members, the standards we, we ask our members and our member firms to adhere to. And those standards are both technical standards, something like valuation, IVS, the Red Book, which many people will be familiar with, but also conduct type standards around conflicts of interest, those kind of things, and anti-money laundering, those, those kind of issues which our members uh, have to deal with so as well as standards we also look at as i say those qualification levels we look at thought leadership which i'm very much involved in and we also look at our regulatory function um unusually for a lot of regulatory bodies we uh, or professional bodies rather we still have a regulatory function as well so we both produce standards and then at that arm's length we regulate against them so my role is, is very wide. I, I need to look at the, the, the granularity of the data standards that we work on that, that help people 
share data uh, across the ecosystem matched on our standards around valuation and measurement and those kind of things. I'm also looking at the, the marketplace through our partner program to build relationships with a whole bunch of different firms around the world so that we can replay back to our profession the kind of solutions and products and business models that are out there that they need to know about and help them understand to be how to be intelligent customers for that kind of set of solutions. And at the same time, provide that insight back into the business and, and also understand how our standards should be evolving. You know, our standards are not set in stone in that sense. We need to think, well, okay, think of valuation, for example, as automated valuation models become more and more used. How do our standards evolve to deal with these issues of big data, of AI and its various flavors being used to produce valuations, perhaps residential property for secured lending, for example, or complex models being used to look at discounted cash flows for commercial real estate. So we need to make sure our standards evolve and still work in an increasingly, you know, busy world of tech, big data, small data sets, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you're obviously leading the program to develop, enhance and kind of gain adoption of our ICS data standards globally. I mean, you, you spoke about it briefly there, but if you could list really the the main standards that you're looking to gain adoption for within your within your industry certainly dan i mean from from, from a data perspective you know we, we we've written our standards very much to to replicate and support what i would call our written standards around the key things that our members do and some of them are quite prosaic around getting consistent measurements of floor plates just making sure that we can actually report consistent floor plate measurements for buildings and assets around the world that are so often used for then for benchmarking purposes, for brokerage purposes, for valuation purposes. We've then got a, a standard around um, cost measurement, which looks right across the, right, the, the life cycle to make sure that you can benchmark construction and running costs for all different kinds of asset types right across that property life cycle based on the concept of acquiring land, um, constructing, renewal, operations, maintenance, end of life, back to that kind of full life cycle thing. We've also got standards around, obviously, valuation, which we're very well known for. We implement the international valuation standard, and people know that mostly as the Red Book when they bump into that in, in the valuation space. We're also literally just about to launch a standard around building performance, which is to, to make sure that we have the right kind of metrics around buildings that measure indoor air quality for example the temperature and link those back to the experience of the employee so those are our kind of core standards together with overall due diligence for property that inform how our data models are built to say well okay how do we look at that superset of data that we would need to have on a property to either buy or sell construct demolish understand its running costs understand its size understand its capabilities and do those kind of due diligence processes how much of that would you say has been sped up throughout the kind of COVID-19 pandemic for the kind of adoption of new ways to work through the data that you're sourcing, creating, having standards for now? I, I think it's become a bit of a cliche in the sense that, that what that the pandemic has done has accelerated existing uh, trends. So I think, you know, that the, the movement of, of, of more digitization in real estate has been happening. Um, I, I love a phrase that I've actually stolen off uh, a guy at uh, Registers for Scotland or Registers of Scotland who, who talks about moving from documents to data because I, I think the industry, although there are clearly um, participants in the marketplace who are highly technical and are working on data and, and in a very sophisticated way, with a sector that's so fragmented, there is a you know a huge number of, of market participants who, for better or for worse, aren't particularly digital in the way that they handle data, and I think the pandemic has accelerated this 
this journey for digitization to, to understand that we can no longer have such patchy amounts of data on assets. Uh, and when that data is collated and curated, it has to be held not just in a digital form where we have a PDF of a, a valuation report or a PDF of a survey, but that we must move towards more structured data to be able to analyze that and get the value from it. So I think the trend was there and certainly uh, prop tech uh, uh, as a, uh, a recent kind of buzzword, if I can use that expression, has driven a lot of activity, which is then reflected back into the what I would say the more traditional firms, if I can use that phrase, who've been well established, but perhaps not digitized in, in a way that other sectors had. So it's accelerated it. It was happening already. You know, the, the, the sector is arguably behind the curve in many areas around the way it uses data and curates data on assets, and it's having to pay catch up. Uh, and that's you know, a good thing in the sense we're moving now in the right direction. But it it is an enormous task. There are many assets where data is simply not available, or if it is available, it's quite old in the way it's been collected, and it is essentially in documents. It's not really in structured data that you can analyze in the way that so many other sectors would be used to. Absolutely. We're looking, we're looking at that as well. You know, we're looking at, you know, having that single source of truth for property data, um, especially here in the UK. And I think what we, we're learning is that it's not a question anymore of using a data provider. It seems to be which, which one do you want to use? I mean, are you seeing that across your, your members as well? Yeah, I mean, there, there's certainly that, that kind of almost flywheel effect where obviously data providers become more valuable as they aggregate more and more data. And I think naturally um, the whole industry will see some kind of consolidation there in terms of people who can aggravate and, um, uh, you know, provide data in that way. I, I think that the concern I always have with, with this marketplace is we're always looking at pulling almost islands of data together. There's never going to be a physical single source of truth in the sense it's going to sit in some kind of like the warehouse at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, data is by its very nature in property quite fragmented. You'll obviously have government agency type data like the VOA for, for rating in the UK and land registry in England and Wales. So you will have various data sources that you'll need to pull that data together to get the full picture of a property. And so I think what we should be aiming for is, is these kind of best of breed solutions where people are able to pull these data sets together, uh, understand the provenance and the quality of this data, because we, we mustn't kid ourselves. There is a big issue about making sure that as we move to digital forms of data delivery and consumption that we can trust where the data comes from. You know, is that a survey from an accredited surveyor, for example, where's that valuation from? You know, if we're talking about the fact that it's leasehold or, or, or uh, freehold, how do we know? Have we actually extracted part of the title information from land registry? Or is that just what the, uh, the seller has told us, which is not implying they're not telling us the truth, but we need to know where's this data coming from? What's the quality of it? I think the precursor to mass adoption of digitization is confidence, in my opinion. And I think having that confidence in where the data is coming from, and you can see it in your own eyes, that it's accurate, you then have that kind of brainwave, I guess, um, of going out to see a property, for argument's sake, seeing the report that you have in front of you that you've, you've got off of your machine, or more often than not nowadays on your phone, or iPad, um, going out to that property and everything matching up, um, you know, 90, 95% accurate every single time, that is a confidence booster, which will only extrapolate things further. No, I, I agree. Uh, you know, trust is key. And, and there's always a danger that if you see data presented in a nice way, in a nice digital form on a screen, that, that you simply 
trust it because it looks nice. And I think we have to realize that that actually it's about that provenance, that tracing the data back to what, what's the source of the data? Can we trust it? And as you say, ultimately, in our world in property, we're talking about real physical assets. This isn't a non-fungible token. This is a real asset. And therefore, the data we have on it should replicate almost, dare I say, using the jargon of a digital twin. It needs to replicate the real asset. So when we see information, that should be genuinely uh, representative of the physical asset in every respect. One of the things that I'm keen to learn from you, if you will, is what you think the UK property industry could learn from other markets around the world. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the fascinating pieces of my role is that although I'm I'm based in, in London in the UK, I do have that global remit. And as a global body, we have that opportunity to to understand custom and practice and developments in other jurisdictions. And ironically, what one that's relatively close to home that I might highlight is is the market in the Netherlands, where the three main banks there made a real push to to effectively digitize the kind of valuation process um, by making sure that actually both instructions that go to their panels of valuers are done in a digital way, but also the data then comes back, that the actual valuations themselves are supported by this kind of ubiquitous term of the kind of building passport, property passport, where it's about that quality trusted data. And I think there's a number of kind of multipliers there in terms of the the quality of the cadastral system they have uh, and certain uh, private sector market participants who've built the, the plumbing, if I can use that phrase, to make sure this information can flow back and forth in a much more elegant way. Uh, and to get down into the bits and bytes, they're using XBRL so that, you know, ultimately this information is flowing back in a very well-recognized financial reporting type format. Uh, and by simply making use of, uh, dare I say, fairly prosaic available tools that are already out there, it doesn't require rocket science here. It's simply about assembling trusted data that the valuers can rely on and that kind of, you know, electronic plumbing to allow the data instructions and valuations back to flow very, very elegant back and forth between valuer and bank. I mean, that is, you know, as an as an estate agent for many, many years, having a, um, a valuation model in that in that way um, that, you know, they see in the Netherlands, that's something that I would imagine 95 percent of people in the property market in the UK would welcome with open arms again. There has to be confidence in the model working here, and I think once we once we achieve that um, turning point, certainly from my perspective, the model that you described for the Netherlands, there's no reason why that wouldn't be adopted in the UK. No, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, as the phrase goes, what's not to like? And and there are various initiatives in the UK. I mean, if I think of the home buying and selling group and and their um, approach of of upfront information, the the BASB form, as they call it, there is a real understanding and a a push to to, to recognise that high quality data is about improving that whole convincing process. You know, it is, as we all know, it's stressful. It can take longer than it needs to. There are more fall-throughs than people would like. Uh, and it's not that people want to necessarily transact in a matter of minutes. Buying a house is a, is inherently a, a process that will take some time in terms of decision-making and making sure that people fit it around their, you know, their, their life choices at that particular time. But having quality information for every member of that that chain and every participant, conveyances on each side, buyer, seller, agents, uh, lenders is really important. And that information, it's critical that it's assembled in that way that can be trusted so people can make decisions on, as the cliche goes, that, you know, the biggest purchase of their life. Of course, you know, having having those things being made a lot easier for what is a stressful time um, for everybody involved, um, especially the, the buyers and the sellers. 
I think that, you know, anything that, that helps that process is going to be welcomed by everybody. So again, after doing a bit of digging, um, I wanted to find out how you set about supporting good data exchange between service providers, technology companies, and end users of data? Well, it, it, by a number of ways. I mean, clearly from our point of view, it almost starts with our written standards where we want to make sure that there, there is a clear kind of taxonomy, if I can use that phrase of what people call things. With our data standards and some other initiatives that we support around the world, we're looking to get agreement on almost the simple thing of let's call the same items of data the same thing. You know, if we're going to exchange data, in some respects, the technology is there. It's almost that sort of taxonomy of, of what do we call things. And also, you know, if, if we do report something as simple as evaluation, well, what's the valuation date? What standard was used to generate that valuation? Making sure that the data about the data is there, because the danger is that you get very simple bits of data being exchanged. But without that context around it, of, as I say, what's the valuation date? Is it market value? Was it done by a, an independent valuer? Or this is, is this simply a, an assessment, an estimate by an agent, for example? It's important that there's enough depth of data. And sometimes it can be thinking internationally, something as simple as making sure people actually clarify what currency are you using? So the standard approach we've taken is to really be quite um, pedantic about making sure that we can get a sense of, can we, saw, can we call the data items the correct names or at least agree on that kind of naming convention and be quite pedantic around square feet, square meters, the units of measures that are used, if a standard's being used. And particularly in this context of, of, of transactions, who is providing this data? Is there assurance behind it and making sure that metadata to use the jargon is there as well so interesting to hear you speak about this in such a high level about that exchange between service providers and what have you if you if you do that successfully what will be the end result and what are you hoping to achieve as from our point of view we're, we're hoping to sort of facilitate the market to be able to share data share data that can be trusted and ironically enough, also make sure that data is shared in an ethical and well-governed way, because it's very easy to get caught up with the, the technical issues of, of making sure we can get data transferred, making sure it flows around the marketplace. But we always need to be mindful that there are quite big governance issues and ethical issues here. Going above and beyond GDPR and, and personal identifiable data, but thinking actually, what kind of data should we be sharing? Who should we be sharing it to? Is some of this data confidential? In which case, which parties can we share it with? So from our point of view, given as we're a professional body, it's not just the mechanics we want to get right so that people can have a full data set for a particular asset for whatever purpose that might be, but also that professionalism, that making sure that actually it's flowing to the correct people, it's protected. It is actually data that you can trust and rely on because ultimately people will make financial decisions, which for our members will be backed up by PII cover. So there's that ultimate assurance required to make sure that if we move to this digital world of making decisions based on data sets assembled in this way, that there, there is that similar, it's almost going back to basics in the same way if you wanted to trust a document that was wet signed, can we trust the data that we're receiving and seeing on our screens? With that in mind, which technologies do you think are going to play a vital role in the property sector over the next 12 months? And are there any trends in, in particular keeping an eye on? I thought if you think of the underlying technologies, I, I think we probably have enough already. And one, one could obviously you know use the b word and start talking about blockchain and for me that that's a slight red herring in the sense i i think blockchain 
is a tool that may have some relevance in, in, in a number of sectors and, and will do, but it's not some silver bullet that will revolutionize everything we do. I think what's more important is actually using the existing technology we already have. I think the focus should not be so much on the next WYSI piece of tech as such, but more on actually uh, one of our tech partners uses the phrase, which I, I think he got from somebody else called Brilliant Basics, which is actually just looking at our data structures, getting our data in order, curating the data, thinking, well, actually, how can we transfer data that's perhaps currently held on effectively paper format and get that into a structured format? So I think it's more around looking at that curation of the data that already exists, identifying where we're missing data, and think, how can we acquire that? How can we actually gather that data? I think we have enough tools at our disposal to do everything we want. And clearly people are using machine learning, artificial intelligence in various forms already, whether that's automated valuation, whether it's looking at images of the roofs of properties to work out where you can put PV uh, solar panels. You know, there are a whole host of, of, of instances where people are already using that kind of trained, supervised machine learning to do some very important things. And that will just continue as part of a set of tools we have. But I think for many parts of the, the property market, there's some more basic issues around, you know, data, data structures, how we actually name things and getting that data into a form that actually we can use. I mean, I always use as an example, not to knock my particular part of London, but I live in the London borough of Richmond-upon-Thames. I live in a house that's in a conservation area. Um, I had some work done recently and thought, is there an Article 4 direction in my uh, conservation area? There is. I eventually found a very weirdly numbered PDF file on the on the LBRUT website, and I discovered the Article 4 direction is basically described in the, in a PDF, which is a scan of a 1990s era typewritten document with some handwritten in ink um, numbers of street numbers to work out which property is is affected. So that's an extreme example of where, if was as I was doing a fairly bit of informative due diligence, the data is. A, hard to get at, and B, is not not really machine readable. So, you know, there's a lot of work and a lot of work, I think, in government agencies. Obviously, perhaps we're taking, particularly talking here UK, but you think of the potential for the UPRN to link data sets together, uh, you know, the unique property reference number to link data sets together to make sure that actually we're not trying to address match with address files and different versions of addresses. So some real basic stuff and making sure that government data sets are always tagged with the UPRN and that increasingly private sector operators tag their data sets with the UPRN so we can begin to join these islands of data together into that single source of, of truth that you, you, you intimated earlier. I think that's the innovation, like you quite rightly say. The big thing is going to be, as you mentioned before, you know, an adoption of a industry standard or at a government level or um, a national level, an adoption of one thing. And this is how we move forward to digitize everything. I think you mentioned UPRN. We champion UPRN constantly. You know, it's, it's everything. Everything to us is UPRN. And I think that is the that is the main way that you're going to be able to link everything together because there's no entering in an incorrect um, postcode and it bringing up three or four different properties. It's all of that one number, which you can then attribute everything to. And I think that's not necessarily, you don't need to make anything new to adopt, adopt that way of working. It's just use the tools, like you mentioned earlier on, that we already have at our disposal 
to make everything flow easier. Exactly. I mean, you know, technology, it's a cliche to say it, but, you know, it's not an end in itself. It's a means to an end. You know, we need to use the tools that we have at our disposal to solve business problems, both for consumers, for, for government, for, 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 for firms. You know, let's just use the tools we already have. We have a, a richness of technology tools at our disposal that people 10, 20 years ago could have only dreamed of. So let's use those tools, use them ethically and keep thinking about quality provenance of data and getting those that trusted data as you say champion things like the uprn make sure we can join these data sets together because as i say if you look at residential surveying you'll have data from land registry from you know from voa from you know local charge you know local land charges coming back environment agency flood data you know all these things need to be joined together we're never going to end up with that single repository but we can end up with these islands connected using uprn my thanks to Andrew for his invaluable insight today. You can find further episodes of The Sprift Sessions wherever you get your podcasts from. Simply search The Sprift Sessions. And if you'd like to know more about Sprift and what it can do for your business, please go to sprift.com. Thank you for listening.